0: All right, you know, uh, I've been on a few different topics lately, and uh, one of the topics we've been on is the Lord's Prayer, and I've been jumping around a little bit in between messages here and there, because I want to make them right where I have peace about them. But in the midst of focusing on that, uh, the Lord's Prayer again, I'm not really doing a message on the Lord's Prayer, uh, but we did a message on Him being our Father, our Father who art in heaven. What a beautiful reality that he just doesn't have. He's not the force. Amen. He's not the universal concept or something like that. He's not the man upstairs for us. Amen. He's our father in heaven. Amen. But uh, I've been praying and then I decided, you know what? I have not done a message in a long, long, long time on the Trinity. And I want to do a message on the Trinity. And I've been praying about, God, please make it clear to my brothers and sisters Uh, And I've been pastoring over 30 30 years this year. This summer was 30 years. And I thought, man, I don't know. I've only had a couple messages on the Trinity in 30 years. Now, we have all kinds of messages on the fact that Jesus is God. Amen. And I've talked about the Trinity here and there through uh, my pastorate. But I thought, you know what? We're overdue for a message on the Trinity. And because a lot of Christians, if you ask a Christian to explain the Trinity, almost half the time or more, it's not theologically correct, okay? doesn't mean they're going to go to hell. It just means sometimes our understanding of trying to explain the Godhead is, is uh, unless you have a wrong theology about who God is and you reject the biblical uh, re- revelation of who he is, then you're in huge trouble. But sometimes in trying to articulate it or trying to articulate or understand it, it comes out wrong, you know? And as Christians, it's important that we understand uh, the Trinity, and understand who God is. Amen. Talk about our God. And even sometimes I'll hear even Christians pray. I've heard it even here with brothers and sisters here very rarely, but I've heard it. And it's not like, you know, I, but it's enough to where I brought correction sometimes privately, you know, where I'll hear someone say, father, I thank you so much, father, for dying for our sins. I'm like, no, the father not the one that died for our sins. His son died for our sins. Amen. And they're, distinct per- they're one God, but distinct persons which, within the Godhead, amen? It's not like we put the person in the cage and not let them out until they recant their heresy. When they pray like that, it's just, hey, bro. And, you know, and they know that, too. It's like, oh, no, of course. I, know. I don't know why I said that. It happens very easily. I'm Sure, we've all done something like that where we've, you know, uh, in our prayers or what have you, you just get mixed up or don't think it through, you know. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three persons within the Godhead. Three distinct persons that share the same essence or substance as one God. And we need to get into that a little bit. And who is our God? Can you, if somebody will ask you later today, say, Joe witnesses knocks on your door and they deny the Trinity. Mormons deny the Trinity. Christian scientists, religious scientists, you know, Krishnas, I mean, you go on and on and on. Uh, the Way International, I mean, you know, on and on and on. All the cults pretty much virtually deny the Trinity. They almost all deny the Trinity deity of Christ, or they deny that Jesus is God, and that's one of the theological lines of demarcation that, that helps us understand the difference between a cult versus those who hold to orthodox Christianity, is we believe in the, that Jesus is God. We believe that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all three, part of the Godhead, and we believe in the Trinity. So where is this, and how would you defend this from Scripture and some say, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. Well, that's true. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but the word Bible isn't in the Bible. <laughs> we still believe in the Bible, amen? Because the concept of the Bible is in the Bible, and the concept of the fact that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as the one true God is in the Bible. Go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, if you will. Start the book of beginnings. In the beginning, we read, I'll wait till you get there. It's not fair. <laughs> Most of you know the first verse by heart, though. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the word God there is very interesting. It's Elohim. Elohim. Now, the singular or the name for God, that's a longer version of God. And it's in the plural. Elohim. I am at the end. Im. Uh, We speak of a cherub, if we're talking about one cherub, we're talking about a cherub. But if you're talking about more than one cherub, you'd say cherubim, more than one. But here you have Elohim in the Hebrew, and he's one God. That's really clear through the first, you know, throughout Tanakh, which is the Old Testament, and throughout Torah, which is the first five books written by Moses. And it's real clear that the same author that wrote that Elohim is the same one that says there's only one God. So how do we understand that somehow he's a plurality, yet he is one? And, you know, how does this fit with the rest of the Bible? How does it fit with the rest of the Old Testament? Elohim. And some call it a plural of majesty. Some scholars will say it's a plural of majesty. It doesn't mean it's a plural literally that there's more than one God. It's just speaking of his majesty and that the eem emphasizes his attributes and how he's just so amazing and he's, he's just, you can't get your mind around it because He's, he's so awesome. And there are plural of majesties used at times where it might speak of, for instance, a, t- a text might speak of a king and use it in the plural because it's speaking of something more fantastic about that particular king or what have you. But there's something going on here more than the plural of majesty. And I know that on, on our podcast, and by the way, praise God for those of you who are getting the news out. Please pray for our podcast to spread and share our podcast with others. We hit in the, I think we're down to like 62 or so on planet Earth. That means not just with Christians, and but Muslims, but, you know, New Agers, atheists, all under the idea of religion, uh, of podcasts, not nationally. Praise God, we got in the 30s, low 30s nationally. But on Chartable, we got into the 60s worldwide. So that means a lot of people are, you know, Our podcasts are all over the place right now. And in one of the podcasts, I got into just in Genesis 1 because we're seeing Jesus in Genesis, and we've been in chapter 1 off and on for the last year. (laughs) In Genesis chapter 1, you know, he's everywhere. It's like, how can you see Jesus? Well, just listen to him. You'll be blown away, you know. Even at the scripture that talks about how for signs, the the sun and the moon and the stars, and God created these celestial bodies for signs, right? And, uh, you know, times and so forth. It's literally the word for the Hebrew calendar, Every time that word is used in Genesis chapter 1, it's talking about the Hebrew calendar and the rest of the Old Testament. In other words, the Hebrew calendar based on the new moons and all those calendar dates, those seven feces, all pointing to Jesus. It's all about Jesus and God's creation. In fact, God's creation tells of the glory of God. And even his creation of the temple is a pattern after the temple that he made in heaven. And even the temple points to Jesus I'm going to just get off on a big tangent, so I better relax right now. I'm going to get all excited about Jesus. But back to the Trinity, when we have this plural of majesty, we have, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And by the way, there's a picture there. It's amazing, because everything was tohu wabohu, right? And, and darkness covered the face of the earth. That was you and me, man. Before we were saved, we were formless, right? No purpose in our lives. We were void. We are empty. Darkness was over us. God said, let there be light. and The gospel appeared to us. And the Lord, the spirit of God was over us and began to work in our lives and transformed us. Amen. But when you go to verse 26, it's quite interesting because it goes beyond a plural of majesty. You know why? In verse 26, we read this. Then God said, and it's Elohim again, plural. Then God said, let who? Us make man in our image. And by the way, when you have the noun Elohim with the verb make, guess what? No more plural majesty. Because now you're talking about more than one person in in the Hebrew grammar. And it's let us make man in our image. Amen. According to our likeness. And let him rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So, So we do know there's more than one person within the Godhead. Well, what do you do with this? What do you do with this if you're Jewish? You could say, well, he created everything with the angels, which some do. No, wrong. I'm sorry. You know those fantastic chapters, 42, 43 of Isaiah through like 47, 48? You have all these declarations of how there's one God, and he triumphs over all the idol gods that the people worship over and over and over again. He says, I'm the only rock, you know. I'm the only savior, you know. I am the first and last. By the way, Jesus said, I am the first and last, amen, over and over again in the book of Revelation. But guess what? He says too, I made everything by what? Anybody remember that? I made everything by myself. God didn't have angels helping him. God made everything by himself. So whoever said, let us make man in our image, the us is God. God. Elohim is not speaking of more than one God. We don't believe in tritheism. That would be tritheism. Belief in more than one God. If you believe in three gods, that's a heresy called tritheism. We don't believe there are three separate gods. We believe three persons share the same substance as the one true God. Okay? Three, three distinct persons share the same substance or essence as one true, the one true God. And he says, let us make man in our image. Amen? Now, it's interesting because you have in the Shema, and you go to Deuteronomy chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2, a few books to your right. Chapter 6, I'm sorry. Chapter 6, verse 4. Hebrew, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the great Shema of Israel. Chuck, you could probably say that in Hebrew for us, right? You got the Hebrew down on that? You got the, the throat down to you? Like you're kind of spitting almost like, you know? Uh, hero Israel the Lord our God the Lord is one amen I love that the great Shema of Israel hero Israel the Lord your God is what one by the way Lord there is Yahweh God is Elohim and it's kind of fascinating really fascinating I think The Lord your God is one God. He's only one. So this Elohim, even though he says, let us make man in our image, and the us doesn't refer to angels. Well, who's the us referring to? Well, we have a hint in the text in Genesis chapter one already. Let us, the angels aren't there, but guess who is there with the father at least, that you see at least in Genesis? Who's hovering over the waters, getting ready to create everything? The spirit of God is hovering over the waters, amen? In fact, we read in Psalms and the book of Job statements like this, he sent forth his spirit and they were created. Holy Spirit was involved in the creation act along with the Father. So we have Father and we have Spirit at least now at this point. But here, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. What's interesting about this text is the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D in 6.4, when you have them all these letters capitalized in the English text, it's pointing out the fact that underneath the English text is the tetragrammaton, Y-H-W-H, which is the name of Yahweh. It's the name of God, okay? Now, there are all kinds of beautiful, beautiful El Roy, I have so many favorite names of God throughout the Bible, but there's three primary names that you at least want to get your brain around to a degree, and one is Elohim, which means faithful one or strong one, okay, almighty, all-powerful, okay, the, the, the almighty or the L. In fact, 250 times, it just, E-L is used, L, like the singular aspect, just to emphasize the singular, that God's, one God. But you have L like 250 times. And it means strong one. It means faithful one. But then you have Yahweh. Okay. Yahweh is the Tetragrammaton, YHWH, which Jews don't fill in the vowels. And they took out the vowels, even though God did reveal his name with vowels at one time. We don't know what they were. Some, you could put Yehovah. There was no J. The J came from the Germans. Some Jehovah Witnesses say the name. You got to say Jehovah. Well, I say, well, actually, they didn't use a J in Hebrew. It's Y-H-W-H. It's it's Yahweh, And and Yahweh is the most accepted. We don't know exactly what the vowels were. There could be a vowel before the Y, right? There could be a vowel at the end of the the letter, the the word too. We don't know. But we know Y-H-W-H. On my my, uh, license plate, if you see my license plate, I have J-C for Jesus Christ, a space. Then I have Y-H-W-H. It's been a great witnessing tool to people, you know? I saw one... A, a woman and her son looking at it getting closer and closer to my truck but as I saw it I was going to get in my truck and I always start my motor you know 20, 30 feet before so it warms up a little bit and I started and they like, like and then they both jumped and I go hey, hey, hey how are you guys doing you know and, uh, and we, they, she's like I love your, your uh, bumper sticker but I, I, it's not bumper sticker my license plate because I use it as a witness because Jesus is Yahweh in fact it's interesting because in the Genesis it talks there's t- different places where you see two Yahwehs in Genesis 19, it says the Yahweh in heaven rained fire and brimstone upon Sodom in the presence of the Yahweh on the earth. What? Two different Yahwehs. Because Yahweh is the family name between the, with the father, son, and spirit. But when it says Israel, the Lord your God is one, right? There is a word you could use for one, which means singular, but the, that's not the word that's used. The word that's used is akkad. E C H A D is how you would transliterate that from the Hebrew. A cod. And that's where you got a cod, you know? Yes. I mean, yeah, I mean, if you want to pronounce it according to Hebrew, but even though I've got some German in me, you think I'd be able to do that, you know? But I I almost spit a loogie every time I try it, you know? So I won't try that. Uh, Anyway, uh, to use the Hebrew. But cod, uh, and if you see it written down, it's spelled, not with a Y, it's spelled E C H A D. But it's interesting. Uh, that word is, speaks of a, sometimes it's used of a composite unity. Some, some say it's always a composite unity. I'm like, no, it's not always a composite unity, but sometimes it is a composite unity. In fact, right there in Genesis, you know, or right in Exodus, or, or when they're going into the promised land later, and they get all these grapes, there's all kinds, there's probably 30, 40, 50, 60 grapes, right? The giant ones, they pull back for the promised land, and it talks about it uses the word cod," but it's used, it's used of a grouping of many. Or just think of Genesis, when the two shall become what? The two will become a cod flesh. Are they literally just one person now? No, there's two people, but they're what? One flesh. So sometimes the word cod" is a composite unity. And that's how we understand the Trinity is God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three, but he's one. He's not three different gods. He shares the same essence as one God. So it's important to understand this to get, try to get our, our brains around this. In fact, uh, the three names, I mentioned three names. It's like if you're, you're like, wait, wait, wasn't there a third primary name? The three primary names would be Elohim, Yahweh. And Elohim means what? Faithful one, strong one. And then Yahweh means the self-existent one. That's the name that God gave to, to Moses when he says, who do I say sent me? You know, to Pharaoh. Tell him that what? I am that I am sent you. Yahweh. That is Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. That is Yahweh. And that means to, uh, to exist, to, to be the I am, to, to be self-existent. And sometimes I have a hard time translating that. I, I've seen so many... Uh, you know, arguments as to the best way to translate that. But I still believe, you know, uh, I am that I am. is probably the best because he's self-existent. We, we understand that he alone possesses, as Paul says, immortality. And he's from everlasting to everlasting, the scriptures say. Yet it's interesting, we have more than one Yahweh, right? We have more than one in the Elohim. And by the way, as far as I am goes, when they picked up stones to stone Jesus, says it's not because he claimed it, it's because being a man they said he claimed to be God. When did they pick up stones to stone him? In John 8, at the end of there, verse 56, 57, 58, and in John 10, 28, 29, 30, a couple chapters later, it's when he said, before Abraham was, he said what? I am. And this is serious. You, that's why cults, again, are considered outside the pillar of Christianity because Jesus said, if you do not believe that I am, in the Greek, he used the Greek, ego, amy. By the way, the Greek septuagint, The Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures that was around in Jesus' day, quoted over and over again by Jesus and the apostles. They were very conversant. They quoted it often, a Greek translation of the Old Testament, because the world was speaking Greek at the time, because the Greeks were ruling just before the Romans were and the language that was common was the Greek. When when you look at the Greek Septuagint in Exodus 3.14, when Moses says, God says, Moses, tell him that I am sent you. In the Greek, he says, tell him that ego amy. Ego, ego, we get ego from E-G-O. Amy, okay, E-A-I-M-I. Ego, Amy, Hoan sent you, okay? Well, ego, Amy is the words that Jesus used when they wanted to stone him. He says, before Abraham was, I am. Ego, Amy. They understood what he was saying. And it's not only, oh, well, maybe they misunderstood what he was saying, some Jehovah's Witnesses will say. Well, guess what? In the Gospel of John, just before that, Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am, Egoemi, you will die in your sins, okay? Before Abraham was, I am, Egoemi, he's the I am. So Elohim means to uh, be, you know, to be the strong one. Egoemi means to be self-existent, the I am. And Adonai, what a beautiful Hebrew word. That's the third primary name for God throughout the Old Testament. Adonai is so beautiful because uh, it simply means Lord, ruler, master, amen? And when you see Lord in the, throughout the Old Testament, it's not capitalized. Usually, it's translating Adonai from the Hebrew. So we have these wonderful names of God. But it's w- amazing because we also know that God reveals his son. Already, to a degree in the Old Testament, the concept of his son as the ruler, the coming ruler in chapter 2 of Psalms, Right? he talks about how huh, he, he says that they to the kings to bow down and kiss the son. Proskuneo would be the Greek Septuagint there is to bow down, to worship him or to bow down and acknowledge him, to kiss the son. And in Proverbs he says, do you know who my son is? God says that. Do you know who my son is? Wow, that's in the Old Testament. And we see him as the angel of the Lord over and over again. Now, he's not an angel by way of nature, but he's a messenger in the Old Testament where God appears, Jesus appears, and he has a relationship with the Father in heaven. Yet, guess what? He's called the angel of Yahweh. But guess what? Over and over again, guess who he is? Yahweh. He's called God over and over again. We've done a whole study before looking at the angel of the Lord, how he's called God over and over again. But that's before the literal incarnation where he literally partakes of, of, of a of, of, Flesh and blood, and you have a a fusion, if you will, between God and man as the God man, one fully God, fully man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But prior to him becoming a man, he existed as the Creator, Elohim, with the Father and the Spirit, let us make man in our image. In fact, go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. And when you get there, just simply go to verse 14. Because we want to identify chapter one, verse one, while you're turning there, if you're already there, look at verse one really quickly. In the beginning was who? The word. So we'll go back there in, there in a second. But who is this word? In the beginning was the word. Look at verse 14. And the word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word became a man. Well, that's verse 14. Look at verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. Talking about the Father. The only begotten God, yet we're dealing with only one God. Jesus says, there is only one God. James chapter one, chapter two says, you believe in only one God, you do well. And the demons believe and tremble. So the Bible teaches both Old and New Testament, there's only one God. Yet it teaches that here we see the only begotten God, the Father, the only, I'm sorry, the unseen God, the Father, no one's seen him in all his glory, right? The only begotten God who has, is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. So it's like, wait a minute, both the Father and the Son are called God there. Well, back up to John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and we know the, and it says in the Word what? It's real clear, guys. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, I mean, Jesus was, in the, in the Greek it's like they're face to face, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And look what it says about Jesus in verse 3. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, that is Jesus, nothing came into being that has come into being. Nothing. Everything came to be by him, and nothing came to exist but by Jesus. That means Jesus is not an archangel Michael, as the Jehovah's Witnesses teach, or the spirit brother of Lucifer in the pre-existence as the Mormons teach. Or some guru or ascended master as many new agers teach. He is God in the flesh. And everything, he made everything. And it says nothing, zero, absolutely zero. Nothing came into being without him making it. In other words, he didn't come into being. He made everything. And it's important that we understand this and understand who he is, because he is the creator along with the Father and the Spirit. Here we see, Well, let, so when we read, in the beginning was Elohim, and we read, he says, let us make man in our image. We know the Spirit of God is hovering over the water, right, at the time, getting ready to act. He sends forth the Spirit, they're created. We know the Spirit's there, but we also see that Jesus is there as well. Not angels, created everything by himself, the one true God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all the one true God. In fact, go to Hebrews chapter one. And this is what blows me away. I've studied, I love, and a lot of you guys do as well, apologetics for years. And people always go to John one to prove that Jesus is God when they're talking to JWs. I think that's a great place to go. But I like to go places that people don't go so the JW is not ready for you, okay? Uh, Just, you know, just to say, hey, there's, and they think they have like John 1 explained the which which they can't explain the way, but they think they do, right? I take them to a lot of places. My favorite place, which I won't go because we're not on a teaching trying to prove that Jesus is God here. This is just, you know, incidental to the larger teaching as far as getting this point across, so I'm not trying to, if I was trying to prove it, I would go to Revelation chapter 1, 7 and 8. Behold, he comes with the clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kings of the earth shall wail, because of him. even so, amen, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, say the Lord, which is, which it was, and who is to come, the Almighty. Alpha and the Omega, first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. A few verses later, John falls like a dead man before John, and uh, before Jesus, Because Jesus' face is shining like the sun in the noonday. And Jesus puts his right hand upon him and says, fear not. I am he that liveth and was dead. I am the first and the last. Amen. Who's the one who lives and was dead? Jesus. I am the first and last. Amen. Jesus is God. In Revelation 22, he says, I'm the bright morning star. I'm the first and last, you know. And I I come quickly, my reward's with me. Verse 12, he says, that... Uh, it's Jesus is God. Because in Isaiah 44, 6, it says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel. Listen to this. Old Testament. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of host. I am the first and last. Beside me there is no God. The whole point of saying he's the first and last is to point out that he's the only God. Yet Jesus says he's the first last over and over again. Amen. And by the way, the term Lord, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, Tetragrammaton, the divine name of God, is used over and over again of Jesus. How do we know that? Because you'll see exclusive terms only used of, of God in the Old Testament. Like every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Yahweh is Lord, Y-H-W-H. Guess what that's quoted of? Jesus. Acts, or Romans chapter 14, Philippians chapter 2. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. He will be Emmanuel, God with you. Amen. He, well, how was he given the name Emmanuel? He was given the name Jesus, which means God saves. Amen. He's not just with us, but he saves. Amen. Yeshua, the Hamashiach, the Messiah. Now, it's interesting because in Hebrews chapter 1, though, this is a great place to take a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon or anyone uh, denying that, he, that Jesus is part of the triune Godhead and is God. And here in the book of Hebrews, I love Hebrews. It's one of my favorite books in the entire Bible because it con- continually contrasts Jesus with everyone else. The ironic priesthood, you know, Moses, you know, all the, you know, these, you know, the, his pre- uh, this contrast with angels. And in chapter one, instead of building up to the angels, he just starts with the angels. To which of the angels did he ever say, sit thou at my right hand, you know? And then he shows how Jesus is higher than the angels and greater than the angels. And in verse seven, it says of chapter one, and of angels, he says, who he makes angels wins. He makes them. See, Jesus was never made. All things were made by him and nothing can be but by him we just read. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels wins and his ministers a flame of fire. Wins is pneuma there. It can be translated spirit, spirits. Verse eight, but of the sun... The son of God, he says, your throne. This is the father speaking to Jesus. Look what the father says to Jesus. Your throne, oh, who? God. (laughs) Father calls Jesus God. Your throne, oh, God, is forever and ever. The righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your companions. What does he mean, your God? How does that work out? He says, keep in mind, he became a man, okay? But also, he's the creator. Look at verse 10. Look at what the Father says to Jesus. And you, Lord, which, by the way, is Yahweh in the Old Testament, because he's quoting from the Old Testament, the author of Hebrews of what the Father says about Jesus. You, Lord, in the beginning, what? Laid the foundation of the earth, amen? And the heavens are the work of your hands, amen? Jesus is not some guru, you guys. Not some ascended master, okay? The heavens are the work of your hands. Heavens, plural, right? They will perish, but you remain. And they will become old like a garment. And like a mantle, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit thou or sit at my right hand? So Jesus is not only... He already existed before creation, but he just doesn't change. Hebrews thirteen eight is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? And he's self-existent. He's the I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I already exist. I exist. I self-exist. He's basically saying, didn't come into being. Now, Hebrews 3. Go to Hebrews 3. This is a great place to share with your Jehovah's Witness friends as well or other cultists that deny that Jesus is God and deny the triunity of God, the Trinity, chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him. That is, Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was in all his house. So Jesus was faithful to him who appointed him, the father, even as Moses was. Now he's going to contrast Jesus with Moses, just like he did with Jesus and the angels. Because guess what? You know, uh, you know, Jews, you know, Christians, a lot of times they'll have, you know, Jesus is my co-pilot or, you know, uh, Jesus, 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 because we're all about Jesus. The more, the, uh, the, the, uh, sometimes Jews, it's all about Moses, you know, uh, and, and you'll see speak- stickers with, you know, or statements with Moses. But look at how he contrasts the two. For he, that is Jesus, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. How much more glory does Jesus get than Moses? Check this out. By just so much as the builder of the house has more, bu- more honor than the house. Well, in, John, in chapter 1, we look, learn that Jesus created everything of Hebrews, right? Made the earth and the heavens, everything. And he says, how much more glory does Jesus get than Moses? As much as the builder of the house gets than the building. Because guess what? Jesus made Moses. Are you sure that's what it's saying? No doubt. Look at the very next verse. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is what? Is who? God. Amen. I mean, come on. It's in Hebrews chapter one and he, it's in Hebrews chapter two right there. Jesus is God. He gets more glory than Moses because he made Moses. And the builder of all things is God. Just clear declarations throughout scripture that Jesus is God. How about the Holy Spirit being called God? Well, go to Acts chapter one. There's a lot of places. We'll just go to, stop off at one because it's, Quite clear. In Acts chapter, not one. When we go to Acts, uh, we go to chapter five, chapter five, verse one. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, he sold property. He could have kept whatever money he felt he wanted to keep. It's between between him and God at that point. So he's going to be killed, and his wife's going to be killed too. But it's not because they kept back some of the money for the property. It's because they lied about it. But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? I Meaning, it's your money. Why is it that you have conceived this deed? Because th- they said that they gave it all to the church. Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to, to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. Well, I'll talk about church discipline, right? Like, wow, <laughs> you know, that's like radical church discipline. And no wonder the early church was so God-fearing, right? Fear came upon all who heard about it. But notice what's going on in verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep some of the price of land? Who do they, who do they lie to? The Holy Spirit. But look at verse 4. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Da-da-da, middle of the verse. Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? God. Because the Holy Spirit is God. And over and over again, he's called the, you know, the Spirit of God and so forth, the Spirit of the living God. So the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are all called God. But we're told over and over again, there's just one God. It's not that hard to figure out. There's three, and and there's a lot of different analogies for the the Trinity, and some work better than others. Some are almost abhorrent, but the that motivations are usually good when people use them, but I I tend to be careful using certain analogies, and I know I've used some of those in the past because they work to a degree, but they're not super precise. It's really hard to be super precise with who God is, you know, when you're trying to define him with an illustration, although I do believe there's some great illustrations, and we'll be talking about a few of them uh, in a a minute. But creation itself is very interesting because in Romans chapter 1, verse 18 It says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And why or how are they suppressing the truth? Because that which may be known about God, right? It talks about his eternal attributes, his divine nature, his power, all who is, uh, has been made known and revealed in them, but they suppress it. So the atheist holds down, you know, the truth that's in them. For instance, uh, there's a very popular uh, live streaming TV show called the, Bo- uh, the Boys. And the guy, Enos, who wrote it, the uh, author, is an atheist, but he hates God. And he's, I can't even use some of the names he uses of God. But he says, oh, I'm an atheist. But he presents God, and I can't even use the words. They're bad, bad words. And it's interesting because in, in his atheism, he's saying, well, I don't believe in God. But then he, his whole work, he, had a, he has a comic called Preachers, which is all very anti-Christ, anti-God, you know, and the main character along with a vampire, the whole mission is to kill God because God wants to be followed. He wants to be obeyed. And he points a portrait of the biblical God. And he relishes in that because he does this, I've followed, there's one of his comics where he makes the Antichrist uh, the hero called Wormwood and the Antichrist the hero and Jesus has has brain damage, right? And the Antichrist's whole purpose is to overthrow God. and, And Satan is sympathetic being in there, but God is the evil one, you know, just crazy. But it's interesting because on one hand, he'll say he's an atheist, but he'll, he'll say, and he just says it straight out. I'm, and you guys gotta know what's going on in popular culture because there is a spiritual war foot. If we just ignore it and just say, oh, it's all sweet. Let's just all cuddle up with it. Oh, every kumbaya, no, wrong. Okay? There is a spiritual war going on right now where people are being conditioned against our God. And we, if we really love the Lord God, we'll cling to our true God. And we'll be jealous for his glory. And we won't tolerate or love those things. Oh, yeah, you can have that position. But I'm, if, you have the, if you have the position where you can brainwash people with this stuff, I'm, I can, we can expose it, you know. So he says, he goes, well, people weren't sane because one of his, uh, I think it when Preachers was, they were trying to bring it into a movie format, But I think it's AMC, the TV series on Preachers, Preacher it's called. And he's, the, the, he's a hero, but he wants to kill God, you know? And when they wanted to do that, uh, it took a while. And he said, well, one of the reasons is, is because the, the story actually says uh, that God exists, but he's a blank. And I don't even want to put the word in your mind. It's just horrible. You know, it's a cuss word. And it's like, wow, man. And, but guess what? Deep down, he knows God exists. <laughs> That's the thing. He's not, he doesn't have whole life mission of comics and TV shows and movies that he's partially behind to one degree or another, writing them all about trying to disprove a leprechaun. If he didn't believe a leprechaun existed, do you think, which he's Irish, you know, I'm part Irish, nothing against Irish, but if, he, if, if I don't believe a leprechaun, and I thought, oh, I don't believe in that leprechaun, I wouldn't make my life mission to disprove and, and put hate on that leprechaun, but you know what I'm saying? But because God does exist, the Bible says God's, that men are suppressed the knowledge within them, they hold it down, it's like the jack-in-the-box, the kid that doesn't want to see jack pop up, terrified. People just don't want to submit to God. He exists. The evidence is there. And by the way, speaking of the Trinity, and this is why I visit Romans chapter one, it says he's known by the things he's made, even his divine attributes, his eternal Godhead. Well, what's a trip is, the universe is in a bunch of threes. Una means one, right? Universe. But the universe is made up of three things. Time, space, matter. Not an accident. Oh, by the way, those three things are made up of three things. Time is made up of past, present, future, right? Right? Space is made up of height, depth, width. Amen? Matter is made up of atoms, but atoms are made up of, we're composed of, matter is composed of atoms. It's protons, neutrons, electrons, right? And then these things all, some of these things, like even atoms can become, and the protons, neutrons, electrons can become divisible as well. It's just mind-blowing, you know, that why did God do it that way? Because he's God. And because he's shown us a bit about his nature. Although it's not, you know, uh, space isn't a personality. So it's not a perfect analogy of the Trinity either. It's just kind of interesting how God tends to work in threes. Now, when we talk about God being triune. And you know what? I could not improve on this statement in a pithy statement. I, I look at it and I go, that's the, probably one of the best definitions of God as triune being Trinity, that you could possibly come up with. It's been used for years. Within the unity of the Godhead, within the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, co-eternal, co-equal, the same in substance, but distinct in subsistence. Let me read that again. Within the unity of the Godhead, there are three persons, co-eternal, co-equal, the same in substance, but distinct in subsistence. And I love that. Because they're co-equal. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are co-equal. They they all share the same divinity. They are all God. Now, some will say, but wait a minute. The Father sends the Son, and the Son submits to the Father, and so forth. And JWs will say that. It's like, yeah. Keep in mind, though. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Amen. And he took upon himself the form of a servant. Amen. And he became a man as the God-man. Fully God, fully man, which is a great, beautiful mystery as well. And as the God-man, he submits to the Father uh, because he's the God-man, but also in their role, and we call it the economic trinity. I hate to get too in-depth, but we talk about the trinity itself. You have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you have different roles. They're they're co-equal as far as essence, but they have different roles. You understand? And because you have a different role doesn't mean you're not co-equal, and Jesus is the one who comes to die for the world. The Father sends him. You never read of the Father being sent, ever, never, throughout Scripture. But you read of him sending Jesus, you read of him sending the Spirit, that's his role. But yet it's Jesus, is the one who died for our sins, amen? It's Jesus who rose from the dead. It's Jesus who is our high priest and, and intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father, amen? Yet it's the Spirit who inspires the Scripture, Amen. The spirit that draws us uh, and woos us and convicts the world of sin. Amen. The spirit that, Holy Spirit that regenerates us. They all have different roles, but they're co-equal. Okay. Let the two shall become one flesh. My wife and I are equal. Okay. Uh, I had a brother come up, a couple of brothers. It's pretty interesting timing, you know. Came up right before the service. They said, what about the scripture in 1 Timothy 2.12, you know, where it says I don't allow women to teach a man in, in the church and so forth. And, and I said, yeah, and that's great. And how long you guys been coming to church? A couple months now? Praise God. It's a great question. I'm like, praise God. I love it when people dig. And we talked about how because there's different roles, it doesn't mean they're not co-equal. My wife and I are as human as, you know, we're both fully human. Jesus died for us both on the cross, amen? But we have different roles, okay? It's wrong for me to want to have a baby. Never had that temptation, by the way, just so you guys know, okay? It's wrong for me to wear high heels, you know? Because the Bible says in Deuteronomy, That a man shall not put on that which pertains to a woman, and a woman shall not put on that which pertains to a man. That's not just the Old Testament. In the New Testament, when it mentions those who will not inherit the kingdom of God, when it says the drunkards and the adulterers and the fornicators and the homosexuals, it also says, and homosexuals is a a Greek word that Paul used, two different Greek words from the Greek Septuagint in the Old Testament, which means a man shall not lie in a bed with another man like he lies with a woman. It's the men, the word man, and bed. Put together into one word. First time it's ever put together. The Jews who knew the Septuagint and they were conversing with scripture, they all knew that, what that word was. They knew that, oh, Paul's putting two words together. It just was common language. Those two words were commonly used for homosexuality. Paul used that. But there's another word there that we don't talk about much. It says effeminate. The Greek word is malakoi. Malakoi, M-A-L-A-K-O-I in the Greek. Oh, I don't know why I'm going here. It's not in my message, but I'm talking about the equality. I think because of our conversation, I didn't get that deep with you guys. But when you look at Molokoi, it says effeminate. What does that mean? That word Molokoi was used. In fact, we did a podcast that will air this coming week where I go into, you know, the whole word Molokoi. And so I'll just mention this. I show how it's used in the church fathers. I show how it's used of, uh, you know, in, by you know, Greek philosophy. It's just used in that day. Uh, by authorities of those who would, the word is used of those men who dress like women, who, men who wanted to be women, men who, you know, and that's what Paul is talking about. That's serious stuff based on what we're facing with the social changes going on before our eyes. You know, 25, 30 years ago, just not too long ago, pretty much everybody felt certain things were wrong, right? Not too long ago, guys. Now it's like if you're on the opposite side of the fence and you still believe what everybody believed in our country for hundreds of years, all of a sudden, oh, you're a bigot. Well, wait a minute. Everybody understood that. I'm not going to move from what God's word says. But I just think it's interesting that God speaks to those issues. But guess what? It's wrong for me to want to be a woman. It's wrong for me to want the privileges that a woman has and to have her role. Because it's a special thing that God gave women that men have not been called to. And I, I, don't see, I can't see, other than sharing the word of God and sharing Jesus with a person, I can't see anything more beautiful than bringing life into the world. You know, if God gives you that privilege and you do it, it's like, that's just so amazing. And maybe it's because I love my kids and my grandkids and your kids and your grandkids and everybody, uh, just people, all of you, you know, that's a great privilege to bring life into the world. And it's demeaning in this world. Being a woman is, 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 by the way, it's not like being a man is better than being a woman. No, absolutely not. Because you don't understand the beauty of being a woman if you say that, okay? But being a man or a woman, God's given us a role and we have different roles in our family, you know? Lisa doesn't try to become the pastor. I don't try to have the babies. I know. And, you know, I, I mean, there's a lot of joy in both of our, our roles. But I praise God that God is who he is and he has order. So it doesn't make one of us less human than the other. We're equal. We just have different roles. Do you understand that? So the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit have different roles. But they're all equally God. I think that's very important to understand. So they're co-equal, but they're also co-eternal. The Spirit is with the Father forever. It says of Jesus in in Genesis, or what is it, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, right? He'll be called Mighty God, Father of eternity in the Hebrew. In Malachi chapter 5, verse 2, it talks about his goings forth. He'll be born in Bethlehem from the tribe of Judah, from the little clan of Ephrathah. And it says of Jesus in 5 2, his goings forth will have been from everlasting. To everlasting, forever and ever, right? From everlasting is from forever and ever. He's just had no beginning of days. In fact, in uh, the book of Hebrews, it speaks of of Melchizedek as a type or picture of Jesus and says, He's without beginning of days. Wow. Without beginning of days. He had no beginning of days. Jesus has always existed. 13.8 of Hebrews, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's the Jesus we have. Amen. He's co eternal with the Father. So he's co equal. The Trinity's, uh, the persons are co eternal. Uh, they share the same substance. They share the same substance as deity. In fact, when it says that Jesus was in the very form of God, or that he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but even though he's the very form of God, he became a man. That word, form of God, could be translated in very substance of God. None of us were ever in the very substance of God. Amen. And when he became a man, he didn't cease to be God. The Greek word emptied himself is kenosis, but it doesn't mean he ceased to be who he is because on earth, he says, before Abraham was, I am, right? He's still God. When they go to arrest him, the soldiers, are you him? I am. What do they all do? They all fall down, all the Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers were not easy to get to fall down It's because of his exertion of his power, who he is, the I am. But he suspended the usage uh, or the, some of the prerogatives and the privileges that he had using them. He could have used them any time could call 12 legions of angels right now. He didn't, okay? Because he came to suffer as the God-man and as a man as well. Give his life for, for us, amen? So we have an awesome God. So he shares the same substance. And there is one, my favorite picture of the Trinity that I've used for years, and I didn't come up with it. I saw someone else use it years ago. I thought that is really, really good to, to share how, show how they share the same substance is if you have three candles, right? you have three candles lit, but you put all three of the flames together, you have how many flames? One. You have one, but there's what? Three in one, right? Three candles. I love that because you have one flame, okay? It's, got, it's bigger and more powerful than just if it was one, one candle. You have three in one, sharing the same substance, but they're one. And, you know, I'm sure the angels are like smiling, like, yeah, that'll work a little bit, but it's even way rad, more radical than that, Joe. Yeah, I know. God, give me even more, you know. But I love that analogy because it's so powerful. Uh, so he, but also, so it's not only co-equal and co-eternal and sharing the same substance, but they're distinct in their subsistence. What does it mean, distinct in their subsistence? That means even though they share the same substance, they exist independently of one another in regard to they all have their own self-consciousness. They're all three conscious of themselves within the triunity of God. The Holy Spirit's very conscious of himself. And the Holy Spirit says he came to glorify, not himself, but glorify Jesus. Amen. The Father says he sends the Son. The Son knows he's the sent one. Amen. And he's the Savior. They're all very conscious of who they are. So they have an incredible subsistence in existing as having their own consciousness and center of consciousness that's really clear throughout scripture so should i not talk about these things on a Wednesday, on a sunday morning should i reserve these for like really deep bible studies and just go through one or two verses and we tell a couple happy stories and pat you on the back said nice to see you guys no even if you said yeah do that no i'm not gonna do that <laughs> i know i'm not called to do that I'm just saying I praise God because we want to grow in our knowledge of God's word. We want to know who this God is that we worship and, and bow down before him and say, wow, God, you are so amazing. You are so radical. You're so powerful. So it's interesting because when we look at these biblical truths, it's important that we understand that we, we deny what the cults teach, that he isn't God, but you also have to be careful you don't swing the pendulum too far the other way where you start to believe that there's only one person and there's no trinity, that there's just the Father. And it's called modalism. It's heresy that's been around for a long time. In fact, Jonathan uh, in in Blessed Hope, Mexico, one of the main things that they have to deal with there that's prevalent throughout a lot of parts of Mexico is modalism. The apostolic church or the so-called apostolic church, the United Pentecostal Church, they teach that there's no trinity, it's just the Father. And then the Father just operates in different modes. So when you see Jesus, that's really the father just showing himself as Jesus so you can understand him better. And the Holy Spirit, that's just the father. And so the father doesn't really have a relationship with two other persons in the triunity of God. He's just by himself. And there's different modes, modalism. There's different modes that he... And, and that's not biblical. That's so unbiblical. Uh, by the way, modalism and sometimes... When we try to explain the Trinity, we do it in a modalistic sense, which is why I'm saying we've got to be careful. Like some people say, well, God is like a a woman who is a mother, the the same woman is a mother, a daughter, right, And and a wife. See how, that's how God is. He just operates in three different ways. No, that's not how God is, you know. Now, you'd do better off saying a woman is body, soul, and spirit, that's a better picture, but that's still not accurate either. But at least you have, because you still only have one person with body, soul, and spirit. But you do have three parts of the woman, but we're not God. We're creating the image of God. So that doesn't work totally either. But so you can't say, and that's an analogy a lot of Christians use. And I understand. And you're trying to get people to understand that. But that's not theologically correct. Well, God's like a woman who is a mother, who is a daughter, and also a wife. Just has three different ways she operates. No, my wife is a mother. She's a daughter, and she's a wife. But my wife is not three different persons. She's just Lisa, and she's awesome. But she's not. I mean, just she's, you're awesome, baby. But <laughs> uh, so it's interesting. I told the guys there when we were talking about you know guys have different functions of women. I go even though men are the leaders. I go I don't tell my woman what picture my wife what pictures go where. This picture goes there, and honey, I want this over there. I'm like whatever you want, baby. <laughs> Yeah, it looks great. You know, now, I have some opinions, but, you know, let women guide the house, Titus chapter two. So anyway, uh, it's interesting because when you think of this through, it's really, really heavy because it's very, very clear. So if you ta- and I've talked to United Pentecostals, I've debated with them. Not formal. I mean just one-on-one or, you know, I see some of them. I've had conversations with them, good conversations, even in this fellowship when they visited. I've had formal debates. Some of you have seen my formal debates against Calvinism and against pre-tribulationism. You know, that one was a little more recent, a few years ago over in Colorado. But uh, with the modalists, they'll say, oh yeah, there's just one person, just the Father. That's so unbiblical, and look, let's go through a few scriptures that show the Trinity, but also show that modalism is wrong. Go to Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And it's interesting because here we see the birth of Christ and we th- three, see three persons, three distinct separate persons. In the triune Godhead at work, and in Luke 125, at Christ's birth, we read, when Mary, if you, if you go up to verse 34, she's talking about, how can this be? I'm a virgin. How can I be bearing the Son of God? Uh, we read, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The who? The Holy Spirit. That's one. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. How many is now? Two. Amen. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God three. <laughs> Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit right there in that one verse. Now, you just keep going, go a little bit further into Luke chapter three, and not just at Christ's incarnation into Mary. You see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love that it's just so pithy. Boom, one concise verse. Bam. Now you have another one concise verse, and this is at Jesus' baptism. You have all three persons at work. Read Luke chapter three. Verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, and who? That's one person, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice out of heaven, and a voice out of heaven said what? You are my beloved son. That's the father speaking to the son. So you have the Holy Spirit, you have the father. You are my beloved what? Son, in you I am well pleased. So you have the father, you have the spirit, you have the son. You have Jesus being baptized, Holy Spirit come upon him, and the father saying it's my son whom I'm well pleased. Three and one again. Just like at his birth, we also see that at his baptism. Also in Matthew chapter 28, uh, the the baptism, you can go there if you want, but all power in heaven and earth is given unto me, in heaven and earth, verse 18, and then verse 19, he says what? Go into all the world, right? Teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the, in the name, by the way, singular, but in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have three, but they're one. And guess what? Oneness Pentecostals break that command. They purposely will not baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They'll just baptize in the name of Jesus. They're called the Jesus only cult. That's one reason they're called the Jesus only cult. They won't obey Jesus' words right there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. It says in verse 1, at the end of verse 1, that we are chosen by God. And then in verse 2 it says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the what? By the foreknowledge of God the Father, there's the Father. By the sanctifying work of the Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit. To obey who? Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. There's Jesus. There's all three. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. That's just so amazing. I love that. Uh, It's just precious, you know. In fact, it's interesting because if you go to Revelation chapter 5, and we've studied Revelation verse by verse. We're in chapter 20 right now. Uh, twice over now we've gone through it. And guess what? I, one of my favorite chapters is when John is weeping. He's bawling. He's crying because nobody could open the seven-sealed scroll. And that seven-sealed scroll is like the deed to the earth and to overcome for our redemption. And it's like nobody could, on, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, has prevailed. Nobody could open the scroll. And John's crying like it's got to happen. How, and, he's, and the elders like, stop crying. There's one who has prevailed to open the scroll. And then Jesus steps forth, man. Boom, he's like, you know, he's over here on the right hand of the Father. Says he stands up and he looked. He says, I saw one slain as a lamb is slain, you know, like a lamb. Jesus still bears the wounds, by the way. And guess what it says? He took the scroll after he stood up from the Father. So, Because some this Pentecost, a lot of them will say, well, yeah, because he's just showing his mode when he's on the earth. But, you know, now he's with the Father. It's just the Father. No, guess what? Go to Revelation chapter 5. He's in heaven, and he's at the right hand of God, amen? And no one could take the scroll, but he takes the scroll. And Revelation chapter 22, or 21, verse 23, talks about how the Father is the light of New Jerusalem. You don't need uh, the sun and the moon, because the Father's the light, and Jesus is the lamp. He's still there. Father, son are there. And the Holy Spirit, chapter 22, verse 17, the next chapter, the spirit and the bride say, come, let him that hears say, come, let him thirsty come, and drink of the water life freely without cost. Very, very beautiful. So uh, it's interesting because in 1 John 2, 18 through 22, I show this to one of his Pentecostals. I share love with them. I say, hey, look. It says, whoever denies the Father and the Son is Antichrist. You can't deny. You're denying the Father and the Son. You can't just say there's just the Father. There's a Father and there's a Son. I love 1st Corinthians chapter 12. 1st Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, you can, oh, we've got time to go there because we're going to go to First Corinthians 12. Look at verse 4. It's talking about the gifts of spirit and how God apportions them out. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of the ministries, but the same Lord. So you got the spirit, you got Jesus. Verse 6. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The very, chapter 13, the very last verse of that chapter. Uh, in fact, the very last ch- verse of 2 Corinthians 13. Might as well have said that, right? Verse 14. Love this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the Son. And the love of God, that's the Father. When you were speaking of God in contradistinction to Jesus being called Lord there. It's uh, refers to the Father. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I love that. And praise God. God wants the whole Trinity to be in fellowship with you. And I love that because you don't just have it at Jesus' birth. You know that announcement, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You don't have it just at his baptism. You have it in the ascension. Remember, Jesus says, if I don't ascend, the Holy Spirit can't come. But the Holy Spirit will come, and he'll make his home in your heart. And the Father and myself, he said, will make our homes in your heart so you won't be orphans. Amen. Amen. That's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling with us and then in us, amen. And then when Jesus ascends, the Father sends the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost to come in a more powerful way, amen. And then here we read that we have fellowship in verse 14 right now with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living in us. It's just the, tri- the triunity of God is mind-boggling. It's so beautiful. And I think this is important because right now you have a, a very counterfeit movement afoot in the... And the last days, there'll be an ecumenical movement where all the phony Christians will join together to worship the Antichrist, and everybody will become one. Imagine there's no heaven, just the earth, you know. Sweet melody, you know, drew so many people in. And John Lennon said he dipped that message in honey because people wouldn't listen to it before. And, uh, but he said when he wrote his songs, it was like being possessed, being a psychic, being a medium. And he said the whole Beatle philosophy was do what thou wilt before he died. In the Playboy interviews, quoting Lester Crowley, the Satanist, but guess what? When everybody's worshiping, they're, oh, we're all one. Let's just unite. And there's some Christian leaders saying, hey, Christians, can unite with Muslims based on at least we can meet, meet with the mystical Muslims that are getting into visions and dreams and, and become one and everything else? Like, wait a second, guys. We don't worship the same God. Do you know the Quran denies that, Jesus, the, that God is a father? They say that it's impossible for Allah, Muslims, to have to be a father and have a son. And that Jesus was not the son of God. They don't have the same Jesus. The Bible warns about having a different Jesus. It warns against that as being a lie. And they have a, their Jesus they call Isa. But Isa but didn't die for our sins. They say that's a blasphemy. Listen, guys. Right now you hear of a lot of talk. Chrislam, Uniting Christianity with Islam. And how we could be one. And we should all come together as one. Because we all worship the same God. It's not the same God. Even Muslims admit they do not believe that God sent his son to die for our sins. It's the denial of the gospel. But, but they do believe in one God, so we have the same God. No, we don't have the same God. Somebody comes up to me and says, a Muslim comes up to me and says, hey, there's only one capital in, Los Angeles, in, a, in a California, right? I go, yeah, we both believe in one capital, right? So we're the same. Yeah, but if you believe the capital is Los Angeles and I believe it's Sacramento, we both believe in one capital, but you have the wrong capital. And you're going to go the opposite direction I'm going. I'm going to Sacramento. You're going to the L.A. You we can both believe one capital. But if your capital is different than mine, it's not the same one. Do you understand? So, and Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I'll say this, guys. And please wrap your brain around this if you can. And we all can to a degree. But none of us, until we're with him, will understand this to the degree that we ought to, or we, we should, or we will eventually, praise God, is that God is triune. And that, that's a heavy, heavy reality. That God is triune is so beautiful. Because the Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, and in 1 John four sixteen, God is love. Amen? So God, from eternity past, before he ever made us, is already love. You can only be love if you have an object to love. Amen? And God the Father loved God the Son and God the Spirit. God the Son loved God the Father and God the Spirit. God the Spirit loved God the Father and God the Son. There's an interpersonal relationship with them because there is a subsistence, a self-consciousness that they, each of them share, yet they share perfect unity and perfect love with one another, and they have from eternity past. So when we say God is love. It's not, can you imagine if God was just one person and sat around for we don't even know how, to, before time was, from everlasting past, and he didn't, how could he be love, right? He has no one to love. No, no, love is. Our God knew what love is, and he is love. His very nature is love. In fact, I personally believe that his holiness, his justice, his righteousness, his wrath, are all expressions of his holiness and his love. And the amazing thing is that this God loved us And he created us in his image so we could have fellowship with him. It's all about koinonia and him wanting us to know him and him wanting to share himself with us. Love gives. God so loved the world that he gave. Amen. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for. Amen. He's a sacrificial God. And the love and the sweetness and the beauty the triune God shared with one another, they want to share with us and they make men not in the same way as God, but as his children. Amen creates us in his image so we can be born again and become children of God. And so we can live in our hearts and so one day we can walk with him even as our earliest parents walked with him in the garden, amen? But walk in a more exquisite, beautiful, sublime garden in the new Jerusalem forever and ever, amen? But when we're there with him, guess what? (laughs) The spirit of God will permeate the cosmos and the father will be on his throne yet he's also everywhere at once Because the circumference, he's like a circle that encloses everything, you know. But his center is everywhere in the circle. He's always right there, you know. It's just mind-boggling. When you're walking down the beach, say you're married or you're, you've got your girlfriend there or your boyfriend and, you're, and you have all this beautiful stretch before you. And so like, it seems like the whole beach is yours. But there's a couple way ahead of you. And they've got the whole beach for themselves and they're walking. Then the next couple, whoever. But that's how it is for us in God. It's like he he loves us each personally. He's there for each of us. And he wants to love us. And we know he loves us because it says, by this we know the love of God. Amen. That he gave himself as a payment for our sins. That's an amazing God. In Islam, even Muhammad didn't know if he could be, go to heaven. Guess what? We can have the assurance of salvation. And if you're trusting Jesus right now, he's your Lord and Savior. You trust in him, you can have the assurance you can know you're saved. These things are written that you may know that you have eternal life, amen? So as long as you're trusting him, you you, you can know and be thankful that you're saved. But if you haven't accepted the love of God and this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, into your life yet, you're separated from God. See, the Bible says that, you know, we've been separated from God because of sin, amen? And that there's this chasm between us and God. But that's what the cross is. The cross bridges the gap between us and God because God became a man, died on the cross to pay for our sins, amen? So the payment that you deserve and I deserve because of our sins, Jesus took all those sins upon himself and paid the penalty for them, amen? And rose again and conquered the grave so that if you confess your sins, if you repent, meaning you have a change of heart, change of mind about being in rebellion to God and you turn to him in your heart, And you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And you confess him as your Lord. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? Saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead and you confess from your mouth that he is Lord, you shall be saved. If you haven't done that, make sure you do that. But praise God, we have an awesome God, amen. Don't leave here saying, wow, I know a lot more about God and the Trinity, but be lost. Many will say, Lord, Lord, but never knew him because they were workers of lawlessness said, make sure you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of sins, amen.